listeners. I'm Irene Barton, Executive Director of the Cobb Collaborative, and I welcome you to Mind Your Mind Speaks. This is a podcast series that brings together subject matter experts, community leaders, and local stakeholders to raise awareness, share resources, and inspire action through recorded conversations about the Cobb Collaborative's focus areas. Today, we are delighted to welcome Brittany Jewett to our program. Brittany, who uses the pronouns she, her, and hers, is also a LMSW. She works as a consultant, leadership coach, and social impact strategist. Brittany is passionate about creating high-performing nonprofits in order to provide the best care to families who are facing poverty, human trafficking, homelessness, addiction, and reentry. Brittany, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for taking time to share your thoughts and insights with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Such an impressive resume and those areas that you talked about, they are definitely critical issues in Cobb County that we have a lot of nonprofit partners that are addressing. Is there anything that you would like to add to your bio? You know, what I one one thing is that uh, what informs a lot of the organizational health work I do is the fact that I am an associate therapist at the moment. So a lot of the mental health challenges that our students are seeing, um, families are seeing and, uh, <clears throat> you know, just in the community and the gaps in services, too, I actually am on the ground floor with as well. So it really does inform my uh, organizational health and systemic thinking. Ah, wonderful. Thank you. And I just saw the headline. I haven't had a chance to read the article yet in the Atlantic about what's behind teen anxiety. We see anxiety just, you know, continuing to climb. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. And unfortunately, I think the the news cycle, the uh, lots of other things are only contributing to that. It's definitely stressful times. So, well, um, well, let's get into it a little bit more. You mentioned the phrase organizational health, and that probably makes sense to some people, but maybe we need to pause and really do a deeper dive into that, Brittany. So tell us what is organizational health and why is it so important? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so organizational health is a company or a nonprofit's ability uh, to develop and communicate and follow a strategy by maintaining a highly engaged workforce, right? So when we're looking at, for example, teenage anxiety, my first question is, what is, you know, first, what are some root causes? And do we have an engaged, skilled workforce to meet those root causes? And organizational health is essentially that ability to create um, those really, really good plans with a healthy workforce. And it is also, it's not just an idea or a theory. It's the, the way to achieve it is through a collection of methods um, and behaviors and disciplines exhibited by our leadership teams to create a healthy culture that then expands throughout the company. And that's why it's really important <laughs> because yeah. healthy leadership teams seek to reduce politics and confusion and turnover at all costs, right? So if mm-hmm. we have these 
if we have these young adults and teens, families that are struggling with mental health and they're walking into our doors and they've met with their case manager three times and now that case manager has quit because mm-hmm. of a dysfunctional leadership team, then we have a problem. Mm, yeah. Um, so I think it's really important that organizational health actually be our strategy first. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I loved it when you said that the leadership is plays really the, the pivotal role in this, as I think back to, you know, other settings, whether it's schools, you always say the principal sets the tone um, mm-hmm. for that school and how, you know, welcomed parents are, how empowered students feel. And then others, as I reflect on my experience in corporate America, which has been a hot minute, but other, I mean, it really does all start with that leadership team. And, you know, are they walking the talk, right? Right. Are they exhibiting those behaviors that they want from other people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, you sort of already answered this, Brittany, but let's do a deeper dive. How does organizational health impact employee well-being and mental health? You talked about or touched on hopefully reducing turnover, but you know not everybody is in a position to leave a job, right? And right. so you want your employees to uh, to be doing all the good things, right? Right. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to answer that in two ways. So I'm going to talk about the first two disciplines of organizational health and then how that relates to employee well-being. So the first discipline of organizational health is building a cohesive leadership team. It's the opposite of politics, right? Uh The second discipline is creating clarity. This is where teams create that organizational alignment, Um, their strategy, their clear roles and responsibilities, and efficient work processes and workflows. That's the opposite of confusion. That's Mm -hmm. where our company kind of comes in and utilizes a collection of evidence-based tools um, to help these leadership teams to cultivate that long-term culture of organizational health and employee well-being. So how does that particularly impact employee well-being in the mental health field. So we have, it's a, it's a deep emotional job and um, trauma-informed leaders acknowledge that there is an emotional undercurrent to the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And I want to start, you know, explaining this by talking about a story that is very real and very common um, that kind of will exhibit the impact of politics and confusion on the job. So you imagine a social worker is in this one hour long meeting with a client and it's very heavy and very complicated. And the family is particularly struggling, let's say with homelessness and trauma. Okay. They leave that meeting feeling drained, exhausted, possibly a little bit traumatized. And then their manager drops into their office and asks them to do a new task and a new way of reporting that seems to be a lot, like a lot of work, Uh you know? So they have no idea and no context to why they're being asked this. There was nothing communicated from the higher ups. There was no new organizational approach that explains this new type of work. And they ask, 
more about it. So well, tell me a little bit more about why we're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. And so then they get shut down and it's just like, you know, what? it is just, it is what it is. Yeah. Right? Just, so then just they do what I asked. Yeah. Right. We're all tired. We, yeah. You know, we all got this going on. Just, so then they go into their coworker's office and start gossiping about the weight of the new policy and then the lack of communication around it. And then the frustration goes without it ever being addressed. So here you have an emotional job compounded by politics and confusion from the top down. Mm-hmm. And it's so common. Um, but people really don't stop to think what is the very first key behavior in this story that needs to change, right? We look at this and we're like, this is common and this is hard, but instead of addressing it, let's all just keep, keep moving. But what do you think? I mean, what do you think is the very first thing in that story that needs to change? Oh gosh. I didn't know there was going to be a (laughs) pop quiz. Pop quiz. Say, yeah, the the leadership needs to understand what the staff person, what the therapist goes through on a regular mm-hmm. basis. I mean, that is their job and um, pick a better time um, to address administrative issues and then give voice to why the change. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, oh good. Poop passed. Yeah, a plus. <laughs> right. You can always pick a better time. Yeah. You can always acknowledge and hear that somebody is having a rough go of it. So that's one thing that I'm like, I find a lot. We're all just doing the work and there's this heavy policy side, but do we stop and ask, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw you just got out of a tough meeting. Do you need to talk about this? Like it's always work first. Yeah. And then we need that larger context of the communication around um, what is the purpose of this policy? How will this help the families? Mm -hmm. Um, Give it some intrinsic meaning. So, yeah, I would definitely say that for sure. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Brittany, I'm so pleased that you went ahead and brought up um, trauma-informed care um, as you know, through our Mind Your Mind Mental Health Initiative, we do a lot of work, um, capacity building trainings around trauma-informed, perhaps maybe even a step before that, um, trauma-aware trainings mm-hmm. to introduce people to the concept of trauma. And certainly the populations that you focus on, survivors of human trafficking, people in long-term recovery um, people re-entering society have those traumas. But can you talk about the difference between trauma-informed care and trauma-informed leadership? And perhaps our manager in the previous um, example did not get an A plus on their trauma-informed leadership approach. <laughs> Correct. Yes, exactly. So trauma-informed care as taught is usually taught for the delivery of services to our clients. So when we go to these trauma-informed trainings, we wanna make sure that how we engage our clients is from a trauma-aware approach, Mm -hmm. right? Trauma-informed leadership is about delivery of services to our employees. So the most exciting part of being a trauma-informed leader is that you get to extend your amazing community mission to your people. 
Mm, yeah. Why, again, why is this important? You know this, um, you do so much work with the ACEs, but 61% of adults have at least one ACEs. That means your workforce <laughs> likely has trauma in their background. Mm-hmm. 16% have four or more types of ACEs. For people who are listening, I'm sure you know this, but it's an adult um, or uh, an adverse childhood experience. So we know that our employees are can have trauma in the past, in their past. Do we want you to be their therapist? Absolutely not. They don't want that either. Yeah, right. (laughs) But a trauma-informed leader first acknowledges the emotional undercurrent and second utilizes strategies to make the workforce psychologically safe. And if they don't, they inadvertently promote burnout and turnover. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that there's enough research out there that tells us, Brittany, that not only does a trauma-informed approach lead to better outcomes for clients, patients, but also is better for the staff that they are more likely to see. um, Well, first of all, they can see the outcomes in the people that they're supporting and serving, but then they feel that they are um, part of the solution. And also that they are valued themselves with whatever experiences they are bringing to work each and every day. Exactly. It's true. It really permeates the whole organization. Yeah, it does. So you mentioned you have this um, kind of menu um, of different programs and um things that you bring to a a company, whether it be a not-for-profit or for-profit around creating these environments. So what do you do in the case of like a leader who just is myopic to their own issues around, you know, creating confusion and chaos and not being clear? Do you start with that leader Or do you still bring everybody together and hope that this person recognizes, oh, that's me? (laughs) Yeah, this is a question I get a lot. And and it's it's a really interesting situation that happens because those that are myopic and they don't see it, they don't see the need to bring anybody in. Sure, yeah. So I am often contacted by an HR person or a CFO who Mm -hmm. sees it and has the self-awareness, but doesn't have the tools or the methods to change. And if there is a particularly stuck in non-self-aware CEO, I will give the effort into coaching and see how that person can be developed through leadership training or development, um, moving through some of those critical coaching skills, like their mindset, skill set, and tool set. And sometimes people cannot they maintain that state and they cannot see it. But the leaders that I am really most excited about working with are the CEOs who see it, see all these different things at play. They want Mm -hmm. organizational health. They lead from the heart. They really care, but they don't know how to systematize it, Mm, right? They don't know how to make a strategy out of it. They don't know how to make a method out of it. And those are the folks that have the most growth. Right. And it's the same thing when people come to therapy. 
You can either come to therapy and be really willing to look inward, or you can come to therapy and maybe not be willing to do what it takes to see the change you need in your personal life. Mm -hmm. the, that, difference, yeah. the difference is that you use therapeutic tools for one and the other, you kind of use more behavioral executive coaching type tools and therapists often I think are great coaches because they know where the line is mm -hmm. so they know where to like not yeah <laughs> <provide> <laughs> therapy and uh, to some to a CEO and they know where right. to stop that off so yeah <laughs> um, yeah um well Brittany you've mentioned your company so how long have you been doing this and let me um add a follow-up is there a sweet spot in terms of client size, um, whether that's number of employees, um, budget size? Yeah, we work with all types of company, including corporate, corporate okay. company. Mm -hmm. um, and this, the real sweet spot is leaders who lead from the heart. And who you know, who might have heard me on this podcast say, this is exciting. Now you get a chance to expend, uh, extend your mission to your employees. That's the sweet spot. So mm, yeah. um, we do nonprofits, we do corporate clients. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the coaching that we do, I think is probably the best, maybe most unique thing that we have to offer because every team that is going to go through the change management process of organizational health is going to face implementation challenges. Mm -hmm. They're going to face those moments where they're still beating up against defense mechanisms. And some of their toughest employees are going to remain their toughest employees. And then they don't know what to do. So that we have coaches that can help them work through that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, this is to answer your question, five years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How okay. long did it take? Five, five years. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, I've heard you use the phrase burnout resilience and creating a culture around that. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So if you'll notice, it's not burnout prevention. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure in our societal context that fully preventing burnout is possible. Uh -huh. um, I don't know if anybody would dispute me on that, but we can create a lifestyle where we're, we become more resilient toward burnout with the choices that we make. Um, but the, but on that note, the most important thing um, when we think about leaders creating a culture of burnout resilience is that they need to create these statements, ongoing communication, that they are aware that there are systemic causes of burnout. Mm -hmm. What traditionally happens is they give us a class or a workshop that's like self-care, take a bath. Yeah. You employees are responsible for helping. Or, yeah. But there are organizational causes of burnout, societal causes of burnout, economic issues, right? And mm -hmm. so what we find is if you just put it on the employee to deal with burnout, then it's kind of like a flat out denial of people's reality. Yeah. So we want to over communicate the awareness that burnout is primarily systemic. Okay. Then as leaders, the key is to create a workflow with policies 
that allow people in the moment to prevent burnout and emotional exhaustion. So we always know what to do for a client post a mental health crisis, but do we have a policy or a system of what to do for an employee post mental health crisis? Mm -hmm. Are we acknowledging the ways that a crisis impacts our stress system and trying to put day in the day opportunities to stop our stress from being overdrive, you know, in overdrive. Yeah. And that's a workshop we create is kind of, it's called burnout resilience, just being able <clears throat> to identify these systems and workflows and causes uh, systemically, but also our individual toolkits. Mm-hmm. Marrying both. Wow. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you know, it kind of um, reminds me of a phrase that I've heard one of our school social workers use a lot in terms of dealing with feelings um, and emotions and mental health. Like that is part of the human experience, right? To have all the feels. The trick is to not get stuck. That's the reality of the situation. And so I think without putting words in your mouth, what you're saying is that the risk of burnout is always there because of all of these things, because we, the society that we live in, the environment we we live in, perhaps also our family life, perhaps also the culture at our workplace. But um, to build that kind of coat of Teflon that you can withstand the heat is what you help to cultivate through your workshops and through these other supports that you bring to companies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then to add that it is, and I, I just want my social worker, my, my peers to know that it is not just on you, right? (laughs) Yeah. Take care of yourself, a warm bath and a pedicure is not going to do it. (laughs) So uh, it's the responsibility again, of our leadership team to create that resilience. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And is, you know, I'm kind of, and you, you know me well enough. I want to dive right into the, well, what do we do? Is it um, things that the leader needs to do? Like maybe even down to not emailing on the weekends or out of um, in off hours, right. Or um, watching what that leader kind of, brings any baggage, I'm putting that in air quotes, um, back to the office on Monday morning. Yeah. So our, the very first session of our burnout resilience program looks at the mindset behind all of our behaviors. So if I'm fully transparently one-on-one with a leader, I would ask, why are you emailing on the weekend? Why can't it not wait? Mm -hmm. If they are creating a culture of prompt response, employees need to know what they're getting into. I want to know for, I also want to know the mindset for the social worker, as well as the leader, why can't things wait? Mm -hmm. So if I have to like, if I have to have a client meeting and then immediately answer an email and, and in my whole workflow, I don't stop. I don't eat lunch. I don't take a breath. What do I want to know how you're thinking about something like that? Why can't we put a boundary in certain parts of our day? Yeah. To say that it is worth at least 15 minutes to calm down after that meeting. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but with a leadership team, I really am digging into the mindset of the organization. Um, there is this amazing book called The Addicted Organization. I think it's pretty old at this point, but it it talks about how so much of our like recovery settings often mimic or some organizations often mimic addictive behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. And and we kind of just let them lie. We let them go. Um, Because we don't see, you know, some of these external signs maybe of a mental health condition or, um, yeah. Uh, other things, or, you know, a, a homeless person, we see an employee who's um, working really hard, but hey, it's okay. That's what we're here for. Right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. a lot of it is, is drilling into kind of how people are thinking about their workflows. Okay. Yeah. So Brittany, the, the last question I wanted to ask you is you mentioned the word strategy several times, and I think I have an understanding of what you're meaning, but then we also have this thing that just about every nonprofit has or should have called the strategic plan. So right. <laughs> what's the value um, to the organization by making organizational health and employee well-being the foundation of your strategic plan. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a capital S, capital P, and then your the strategies that you talked about, maybe those are lowercase S's. Can you <laughs> um, explain all of that to me and to our yes. listeners? Yes, yes, absolutely. So the, the value add starts with the cost, right? So the mm-hmm. cost of employee turnover is very expensive. Yes. We can't, we can't solve every single problem as to why an employee leaves. We know that, but we can try to mitigate it. Um, and the most political and confused organizations have high turnover and low morale. Mm. And the cost of quiet quitting and low morale is also very high. <clears throat> and it seems like the cost of trying to replace an employee is just getting higher and higher in the data. Yeah. So the value add is absolutely financial first and foremost, retaining and attracting top talent and keeping them is, is a way to reduce that cost savings. But as far as your strategic plan, a lot of the strategies and creating clarity in those disciplines um, around reinforcing and over-communicating clarity are in the traditional strategic planning process. But what I think people miss the most is we're going to create this big process on our leadership retreat with the board over a weekend and our, <clears throat> our folks haven't even weighed in on it. Mm, yeah, It's your first step to know, to, to start asking the question, can they even execute on this strategic plan that ended up costing us $30,000 to make with a consultant, right? Yeah. Don't waste your money. Like you have to define first if your team is healthy enough to execute the plan. So when you look at organizational health, most HR departments are going to treat it like um, like a side item to your mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, meal, like mashed potatoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you go do it quarterly and people are, you know, uh, they see like trust falls as like your quarterly team development, but like your day to day, there's no health in the organization and it becomes a joke. So that's what happens as the consequence of your side item to the meal. But we recommend, you know, making organizational health the full 
plate that the mm-hmm. served on, it can't, it really cannot evade the strategic planning process because then it becomes this like glaring blind spot. So <clears throat> what we're looking for in the strategic plan, and I recommend for everybody writing, completing a strategic plan is drafting. What are some key organizational health behaviors that we want to see in the three to five years? Would we look at our culture and our employee morale? What are things that we are going, what are these behaviors that we're going to um, promote and reward and exhibit? And that starts permeating the change when you start walking that walk. And and a lot of that is that vulnerability-based trust. So, Um, We work with companies who have that hard time making that shift from being really siloed, Mm -hmm. turfy, this is my work, or I can't ever be wrong, or then I'm going to get retaliated against those types of behaviors. You identify them as the things that need to change and start building a plan to change them. So that is as important as developing a KPI. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and that should not go unchecked, and it shouldn't be saved for every six months. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, thank you. Wow, I'm, I'm like sign sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brittany, we've talked about so many great things. Um, I'm looking forward to dropping a lot of these things in the show notes, but as our time together draws to a close, is there anything specific that we didn't talk about that you would like to give voice to? Um, You know, I think that, I think that sometimes the organizational health journey in and of itself can seem like an uphill battle Mm. and can feel really overwhelming, Mm -hmm. but those who have made the investment to do it for a long-term journey to, to work their strategy and their new workflow, actually see more rewards with the investment of time up front than they do with the costs of this going untouched in the back end. So I would just say to those who are considering um, considering working on this, that that they go for it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, Brittany, thank you so much. I always learn so much when I have the opportunity to hear you speak. And today's uh, session, today's podcast was no exception to that. So thank you for sharing so many of your talents with the collaborative family. You come to our meetings and it's always so great to see you there. So thank you for all that you do to support not only the collaborative, but also the other organizations working in Cobb County. Thank you so much for having me. And listeners, thank you for tuning in today. To be sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to our Mind Your Mind podcast. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tune in next time as we continue to empower and engage our community through conversations about important and critical issues. Until next time, please stay well and remember there is no health without mental health.